welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. You'll find this in life that um, you become the people you hang around. You become the people you hang around. Like even kind of just looking in the mirror before I came out here this evening, I'm wearing pants that are kind of rolled up. I'm not wearing socks and some weird looking booty kind of things. And I'm going, how did I ever get to this place? And really this is just a reflection of the stuff that my friends wear. And, um, and I'm another testimony of how you really just become like the people you hang around. Uh, if you don't hang around anywhere, hang around here. Uh, because there are some of the most high-quality people on planet Earth uh, in this church. And, um, and I love uh, Tony and Kat's marriage. I love their passion. I love their children. Um, just incredible kids and uh, a beautiful home that is truly open uh, to this, their church. Um, they love. Now, not kind of that's open in a metaphoric sense, so don't just be banging on the door at two in the morning kind of going, I'm hungry, can I get a snack? That would just be rude, but um, any other time of day, go for it. Knock on their door, and uh, Dan said, the house is open, not tonight. That is so cool. Oh, my Lord, what the heck is going on here? Kind of, that sounds really gross. What a bizarre night. I forgot to tee up the guys to say that it'd be good if the paint was already out in the, um, the plate for visual effect, but that's gone now. So I try to keep my marriage alive as well. Uh, my wife and I try to do as many fun things together as possible. Uh, hence this weekend, we got the chance to hang around Adelaide City yesterday afternoon. Man, Adelaide, you are showing off. Um, yesterday, it was so beautiful, and had the chance to do an Alaskan cruise with my wife uh, last year, and it was so much fun. I, I saw the movie. I saw the movie. What was that? Uh, in Adelaide, the Alaskan cruise. No, 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 no. It it doesn't sail out of. It doesn't come down the River Torrens up to Adelaide. No, Alaska. Alaska is up at the top part of the earth. <laughs> and I watched this movie called The Proposal. Have you seen the movie Proposal before? For those who haven't seen it, that means everyone who's a dude in this room. Um, it, it's basically a romantic comedy, and they end up in Alaska, and Alaska looks beautiful. You know what I'm saying? Eagles and sunshine and like bays and boats and... And so I thought, we're going on a romantic kind of Alaska cruise. It's not like that at all in Alaska. It's just really foggy and cold. I, w I went so underprepared, I didn't even take a jacket with me on the cruise. No word of a lie. And so I'm shivering the whole way through because on the movie, it's like sunshine and eagles and, and, and bays and, and boats. And so uh, we're on this Alaskan cruise and we're, we're hanging out. And, and, and I've never been on a cruise before, but cruise is basically just an, an all you can eat, okay? It's like an all you can eat out on a boat. And there are multiple restaurants that are open 24 hours a day. And effectively, you just eat, get off at a kind of town, walk around, get sold cheap souvenir stuff, um, all made by my people. And. Um, <laughs> And, uh, and so, you get back on the boat, you eat some more. Uh, there are a couple of restaurants on the boat where you can't just walk in, you have to make a booking, some of the fine dining uh, restaurants, and so you have to make that booking, and, and one of the nights where it's always really busy is uh, lobster night. Lobster night is always busy in the fine dining, so that night, Krista and I made a booking to go eat at um, the, the fine dining restaurant. And because it was so busy, we had to share a table with another couple. And so it was a little bit awkward because we're there for a bit of a romantic dinner. And uh, but we're kind of, as I'm staring into Krista's eyes, I'm catching the eyes of a strange man. And so 
we're hanging out, but you know, we make the best of a, you know, an awkward situation. So we started uh, getting to a bit of a conversation with the other people on our table and just asking kind of what their story was. Uh, th- there were a couple um, who were girlfriend and boyfriend, but both in their mid-60s, okay? And, uh, and oh, yeah, and, and they were kind of a bit of a randy couple, you know, like, like mid-60s, but, you know, the, the, you know, can you feel the love tonight? You know what I'm saying? That kind of couple. And, and so they're talking about a bit about their lives, and they had marriages, but they didn't work out, but now they found each other, and they're like a couple of teenagers, and all they basically do is travel the world and enjoy each other's company and, and feel the love each night. And so these guys were just into it. And I was a bit taken back by how expressive they were about their physical affection for each other. A little bit grossed out, if you will. <laughs> and so they then would turn to me and ask me what I do for a living. And uh, I told him, uh, I'm a pastor and uh, I preach for a living. And as soon as he heard me say that I was one of those churchy kind of people, he freaked out. He went red, and he began to automatically sweat. And he started to do what so many people do when they find out that I'm a minister of religion, one of those churchy people. He felt compelled to give me his entire religious history. Oh, 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 well, I went to church when I was younger. I, went to, I was raised in a Methodist church. I went to a Catholic church. And so he started telling me his whole story um, regarding his interactions uh, with God throughout his years. And then he went on to start trying to explain to me why him and his girlfriend were together, but they had not married each other yet, and how, like, you know, I'm, 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 I'm going to do it. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely... And I start to see something happen that I've seen happen so many times before because so many people think that being a churchy person, being one of those God people, that effectively I'm a kind of a moral judge and having a relationship with God is all about being a good person. And so for him to feel like he's relating with me, he had to show me how either he was good or on the path towards being good. And so it was actually kind of fun to watch him sweat and go, get all upset and, and, and start to explain to me, well, you know, I, know I want to get married. It'd be great. Like, you know, I, I want to marry. I love you. Love you, and it's great to get married. I would love to get married. We've been there before. We talked about, we talked about this. We talked about it. And so he's like freaking out. And, and so this poor woman sitting on the other side of the table, and he starts explaining to me, oh, you know, the tax laws in California are crazy. Like us two being separate, like there's tax advantages. And, and if we get together, like we all have to come under, and it'd be really. And then he wraps it up by saying, but, but honey, 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 you don't even really want to get married anyway, do you? You don't, you don't, even, you don't even really want to get married, do you? And at that moment, I had a decision to make. I could either just flow with the evening and enjoy my lobster, or I could get real cheeky. Oh, I got real cheeky. Because to that I said, well, sweetheart, would you like to get married to him? And then he, she went quiet. And then she said, well, I would if he asked. Now, at that point, I had an opportunity to back out of my cheekiness and just enjoy my lobster or go deeper. So what did Dan do? Oh, he went deeper. So I said, you know what? I'm a minister of religion. You guys want to get married. We're in international waters. We can do this. All three of those points were basically false, but I'm just playing along. I'm going, I've got no legal right to marry, but I'm saying, we can do this. I did a marriage recently, and I've got all in my head. We can do it. There's a captain. We can like pull him out. He can like kind of you know be our witness. We can do this. Let's do this. At that point, that man went from sweating to sprinkling. And so she started umming and ahhing. He's like sweating and 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 getting redder and redder. I'm thinking he's going to have a heart attack and. And at that point, I, I, I let him off the hook. And I said, hey, seriously, um, I, I'm not here to judge. Um, following Jesus is about trying to work out uh, what he wants to do for my life and how he wants me to bring love into the world. Uh, it's not my right uh, to speak to you about how you're meant to live your life. My hope is that you'll discover Jesus 
and find that out for yourself. That didn't help. He's, all he's thinking is now, oh my goodness, I'm going to have to marry this woman because this Asian guy has messed with my program. And... So we ate our lobster and finished off the night. Uh, we had further conversations. As a part of that, that conversation, he, he just did reiterate. Like growing up, he always thought that, that church um, was just for like good people uh, because God was for good people. Because God is good and God is moral um, and God has commandments and God has laws, by deduction, by sheer logic, God must be for good people. And therefore, those kinds of people who go to church, those good people who go to church, get to experience God's best for their life. But if you're not one of those people, then you can't really expect to experience God, let alone His best for their life. And I understand um, where he comes from. Let me hit a pause button. I'll come back to that point. I've got to tell you how the story finishes. The day after, um, we're having lunch. Instead of going to the fine dining restaurant, uh, we were going to the, the main buffet. And on a cruise, kind of over seven days, you get to know some people, but most people you don't really engage with or have a conversation with. You just start to recognize their face. They recognize your face. You just like kind of nod and smile and keep walking. This day, we're walking into the buffet, and we're, we're, um, me and Christian are walking in, and um, I look up, and coming the other way was this couple from the night before, the couple that I mucked around with this whole marriage deal. And you know when you kind of look at somebody and you have a split second to make a decision whether or not you'll keep locking gaze and then commit to a conversation, or you get a split second to pretend you never saw them and walk right past them. Don't look at me as if you haven't had that feeling before as well. I had that opportunity. So I thought to myself, you know what? I thought we worked through all of that cheekiness and me trying to get them married. So I kept my gaze locked on them, but he couldn't handle it. He looked away. And I'm just going to try to describe it. We're walking down a hallway. There's a wall on one side, and there's a fake wall made of um, artificial bushes, like kind of like plastic bushes on the other side. He sees me, and he does this. Bang! He jumps into the plastic bushes, breaks them open, and crawls to the other side. A 65-year-old man destroying decor to get away from me. Just, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just like flying that flag for Jesus everywhere I go. Anyway, coming back. This man held an opinion that so many people in the world honestly hold. That because God is good, he's for the good people in this world, and he'll do the best for those who have done well. That church really is an environment where the moral gather. Those who keep commands, those who haven't really done anything majorly wrong in their life, those people who have kept within the boundaries, they're the kinds of people who have pleased God and are gonna get God's best for their life. And I can understand why people think that, because like I said, God is perfect, God is pure, God is holy. There is something intuitive in all of us that knows that, so it's fair to deduce that God is for the people who reflect that goodness and that purity. A lot of people in society think that really God is for those people who in a sense have gone through life and kept their shirt kind of clean. You know, you've you know, escaped the trappings and you've escaped the temptations, you've escaped the major failures and, and falls, you've kind of navigated through the, the, the pressures and the pitfalls, and you've come out the other side as one who can lift up holy hands and say, God, I'm down with you. Now bless my life. So many people in this world think that God wants to do the best for those who have navigated through their life and kept relatively clean. Which leads me to a question. How about those people who haven't? How about, those, how about those people who feel like they've made their way through life, but instead of sidestepping those pitfalls and those temptations and those trials, they've fallen right in? How about those people amongst us who feel scarred and stained 
fallen and failed? How about those people who have lived life but come out the other side a little bit marked up? How about those people who find themselves in church kind of hearing about the goodness of God and the greatness of God and being exposed to these wonderful testimonies, these stories about the God of this universe who does stuff in our lives and through our lives, but at the same time you think to yourself, well, that's gonna work for that person because they haven't done what I've done, but for me, at best, I can sit here in the, in the shadows or hide in the periphery and watch God's good happen for everyone else, but not for me because I'm one of the ones who have come through life but got a little bit stained. How about the ones who say that, hey, here I am and, and, and I've got some stains on my shirt. I, kind of you know, had a failed marriage and I, I know that, that, that divorce isn't God's heart and we gave it a go but we gave up and, and I see everyone around me and I see Tony and Kath and, and it's kind of a little bit gross because it's like watching mum and dad make out but there's something inside of me that kind of likes that because I'd rather have a, a pastor and his wife who do things a little bit inappropriate on the stage than never inappropriate at all and and I love that about them, but that's not me. I'm here, and from a relationship point of view, I've messed up. And I kind of feel like I've disqualified myself from really ever experiencing God's best for my life. I know that he's gracious, and I know that, that he's going to do something for me, but the best, I'm not sure, because I'm one of those people who stands before God as one with a marked shirt. How about the ones amongst us who say, I've, I've got some scars and stains from, from the addictions that I picked up along the, the journey. and They kind of just started off as something that I dabbled with, but now, now it's grabbed me. and That, that, that substance, that, that, that material that you download late at night, and you kind of, you, you know that it breaks the heart of God, and there's something inside of us, there's an instinctive that says there is something broken and, and wrong with this, but... But, but we find so much comfort in it. It provides such context in our lives and now it's just a part of us and we stand before God and, and we see people around us and there's such a freedom and an ease about them. There is such a, a nakedness, if you will, as they get to worship God with absolute abandon. But here you are as one who feels like you stand before God and you've got this stain all over your shirt and instead of reaching out, and embracing him, you kind of recoil and, and, and duck your head because there's a part of you that knows that he loves you, but there's a part of you that's scared of the judgment that would ensue your, your fallen nature. There are some amongst us because of our addictions who feel like we have picked up a few too many stains on our t-shirt along this journey. And there are some amongst us who you find it so hard to, to forgive yourself, and because you can't forgive yourself, you just jump to the logical conclusion, then how can God forgive me? The pain that you've caused, the murder that you've performed with your lips, words that have literally destroyed lives, harsh and horrible things said in that moment, and you carry around that guilt, you, you bear that weight, you are now marked by that stain knowing that you have been a person of verbal war in the past and you, you, you can't really get your mind around the thought that the God of this universe could unstitch this thing that you've messed up so many times before. And you love the idea of God doing massive things here in the city of Adelaide in this church and through this church, but you think to yourself, that's going to be the story of everybody else, but not for me, because I'm one of those people who, who has done too much and gone too far and broken too many rules and smashed too many commandments and just made too many mistakes, and you're kind of sitting here going, I love this story of amazing grace, but it's going to have to be some pretty amazing grace to deal with the stuff that I've got on my shirt. There are some amongst us here in this room who have been deeply and profoundly unfaithful and because of our unfaithfulness we look back upon our lives and it's just riddled and strewn with heartbreak and anger and hurt and disappointment and 
And you know there are people in your life who, who kind of look at you and raise an eyebrow, and that doesn't surprise you because when you look in the mirror, you raise an eyebrow and you think to yourself, man, if I could just get my time back, if I could just get one more chance, I wouldn't do that, but I don't get that chance. And I hate it, but it's my reality. I kind of go through my life, and not only just on a Sunday, but even day by day, I find myself caught in moments where I just regret. And I wish I didn't hurt that person. I wish I didn't walk away. I wish I didn't make that decision. And you find yourself knowing that God is good, wanting Him to do good for your life, desiring for Him to do good through your life, but because you stand before Him as one with a stained-up shirt, you think you're disqualified. And my friend, that is natural and that is normal and you are not alone. For many people, like that man I met on that cruise, and like some people I'm going to talk to later tonight, you think that God is only for the good. My only desire here tonight is to open up the Word of God and allow the Spirit of God to speak to that thought and to let you know how He feels about you if you sit here tonight with a stained-up T-shirt thinking you've gone too far, you've done too much. There's no way God could do His best for me. And the way that I want to do this is I want to read a story from the Gospels about one of the biggest mess-ups, one of the most fallen people talked about in all of Holy Writ. A woman who was so marked by mistakes, it dominated her very life, every moment of it. And I just want to make some observations and propose to you that the manner in which Jesus relates to her is still the way Jesus relates to us. When we find ourselves bumping into him on the road of life, covered in stains. I just want to read this story very simply and propose to you that it was God in his grace and his mercy that brought this story to our attention. Not just so that we have, would have a, a um, a documentary um, excerpt from 2,000 years ago, but so God could once and for all establish a precedent to allow you to know how he feels about you when you find yourself with a few stains in your shirt. The story comes from the book of John chapter 4. John chapter 4. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry. I'll read it for you. My English is very strong. <laughs> and in my Bible, there's a little bit of a sub kind of theme or title here. And it says, Jesus talks with a Samaritan woman. But do not be mistaken, it is much more than just a conversation. This story tells of a declaration about how God feels about the broken, about those who have made a few mistakes. In John chapter 4 and verse 4, I'll pick up the story. It says, now Jesus had to go through this place called Samaria. And he came to this town in Samaria called Sychar. And this town like, is near this plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. They came like a drink fountain. And tired as Jesus was from the journey, he sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour, midday. Along comes a Samaritan woman to draw water. So Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? You see, his disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews don't associate with Samaritans, and men definitely didn't associate with women in public for that matter. 
Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you've got nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and his herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, this water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I don't have to get thirsty and keep coming here to draw water. Jesus told her, Go and call your husband and come back. Got no husband, she said. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you have now is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Uh, Sir, the woman said, "Uh, I can see that you're a prophet. Uh, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is Jerusalem. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, A time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for for these are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah, the Christ, He's coming. And when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Here we have this beautiful and poignant story. Uh, equal in its amazing grace and its scandalous nature. Uh, A woman who found herself at this juncture in her life wearing a t-shirt covered in stains. Here she was, ostracized from society, an immoral woman, if you will, collecting water in the middle of the day. You see, in first century Palestine, throughout the midday period, from about midday to about three in the afternoon, the temperatures could soar to above 50 degrees centigrade. It was the woman's job to collect water for the household, and because women, by default, are smarter than men, that was the chance for the women to say amen. They would say, you know what, if we're going to get this job done, we're going to get it done early in the morning before it gets too hot. So that's what would happen every single morning. The women of any village would gather together and they would walk together and talk because that's how women roll. Go to the toilet together, we go fetch water together, we roll in packs. (laughs) I love that. I love how women, dudes can't do that. You know, when you go to your friend, hey man, let's go, to this, let's go to the toilet together. That's like strange and creepy and weird, but for a woman to roll solo, that would be strange and weird. And so here this woman would have awakened each morning to hear the women of the town go along to fetch their water, but she wasn't invited because those women didn't want to talk to her for she had five failed marriages And those women would have been worried about the eye that she may have had for their husband. And so I could imagine this woman just being by herself in a house hearing the chitter and the chatter and the chatter and the chitter of these women who roll in packs because that's the way they roll. And just kind of just wishing that she had a girlfriend, but she didn't. She found herself doing that which was so communal within that time all by herself in the middle of the day And doing what she does every day, just kind of just walking along, going to fetch her water. And then she meets this strange man by the well. 
who begins to talk to her, who begins to listen to her, who begins to ask her questions, give her answers, and then ask her some questions as well. A man who would begin to value her. And there was something about him that was different because every man up to that point in her life had wanted something from her. It felt like this man wanted nothing but to give to her. And they go back and forth. This conversation takes a few twists and turns. And it eventually ends up with Jesus doing something he had never done up to that point in his earthly ministry. Revealing who he truly was and is to a broken person. All I want to do is I want to make just a couple of observations from this story about the way Jesus responded to this woman with a stained t-shirt and proposed to you this is the exact same way Jesus wants to respond to you tonight. If you're writing down notes, um, uh, I've only got three notes, you can scribble them down. If you have a, an iPhone, like I always say, you can pull it out. Thank the Lord for Steve Jobs as you do that, for that wonderful contraption you have in your hand. If you've got a Blackberry, I've got nothing for you. If you have a tattoo gun and some space on your chest, you may want to put three points on your chest. But I want you to know, if you're sitting here tonight wearing a stained T-shirt, and you kind of question whether or not God can use someone who has made a few mistakes in their life, I want you to hear how Jesus responded to this woman. Point number one, what does Jesus do when you find yourself with a t-shirt covered in marks? Number one, he comes to you. Jesus comes to you. That's a crazy notion. As someone who speaks about Jesus for a living, and I speak primarily with young people, nowadays probably about 60% um, young people, about 40% this kind of environment, um, I find not only with young people, but not so young people, this kind of notion that, oh, you know what? I've got to you know, get on track with God. I've got to get back into relationship with him, but I hear this so often. There's some stuff in my life I've got to get right first. And after I get this stuff right, after I get this stuff sorted out, hey, then me and him, come on, we're going to get it done. We're going to grow in our relationship. There's a phrase that I hear all the time in the U.S. especially. I don't hear it very often here in Australia. But in the U.S., I hear from a lot of young men who say, I've just got to get my sins together. Or in other words, I know there are things that are wrong in my life, but if I can lasso all of them and start managing them, then me and God can get onto track together. And that's a commonly held notion. God is perfect, we are not. Let's get our lives right, and then we can start to relate. But here this story flips the script and changes the game because we have a story and a picture of God not waiting for someone to get their sins together, but God coming after this woman. You've got to understand that this whole story is set up as an ambush. You see, the Bible says in verse 4, now Jesus had to go through Samaria. Now, on the surface, for many of us here in this room, we will miss the significance of that statement. But if you do a little bit of digging, you would understand that this story starts with Jesus in Jerusalem. He's trying to get out of Jerusalem because it was getting a little bit hot in Jerusalem. He wanted to get to Galilee. Galilee was a northern city. And the Bible says to get from Jerusalem through to Galilee, he had to pass through Samaria. Now, what's outstanding about that statement is that anyone who knows about first century Palestinian um, um, travel, and obviously you know a lot about it, is that if you were to get from Jerusalem through to Galilee, you would not go through Samaria. In fact, you would avoid Samaria with all due vigor. The most common path tread by the Jewish nation would be to cross the Jordan, to go up the east side and cross back over into Galilee. You don't have to go through Samaria. In fact, you avoid Samaria. So the Bible, when it says now Jesus had to go through Samaria, was not refer referring to a geographical had to go. He must have been referring to a missional had to go. Or in other words, God had something on his mind, and it was this woman so Jesus is here, the Bible says, waiting by the well. <laughs> and this woman, who every day at midday 
by herself walked into a God trap. Smile, that's good news. Because it means no matter who you are or where you're at, what you've done, how stained you are, God, who's the pure embodiment of love, is setting you up this very moment. Heck, tonight may be a God trap. And so she kind of stumbles straight into it. And not only does he kind of set up this God trap, there was no reason for Jesus to talk to this woman because women were seen as a, a lower class citizen in that day. A woman was there just to serve. And it would have been even scandalous for a man to talk to a woman in public, let alone a Jew speak to a Samaritan. But God's love is so encompassing that it binds him to drive him all the way to this broken woman covered in stains. And they begin to engage. They begin to converse. I need you to understand this. That no matter how far away you feel from God, There is no pit so deep, no forest so dark, no night so long that Jesus won't make his way all the way out to you. He comes to you. Ambush time. (laughs) Hey, what's up? How you doing? Not only does he come to us in his grace and his goodness, point number two, He talks openly and honestly with us. I love that. In brackets, if you're writing it down, he calls us on our sin. He addresses our dysfunction. So the first thing Jesus does is goes, what's up, how you doing? God's got his eye on you and I'm here to show you that amazing grace is not a hymn, it's me. But before we kind of go any further, we need to talk about some stuff. Address the elephant in the room, if you will. Not because I'm trying to condemn you, because I'm trying to free you. Not because I'm trying to make you feel guilty. I'm just trying to help you feel liberty for the first time in your life. Because he says to her, all right, um, you know, get me a drink. All right, well, I could have given you a drink, and they go back and forth talking about water. And then Jesus pushes the conversation and says, well, go get me your husband. And she kind of says, well, I don't have a husband. And then Jesus goes, well, you're kind of right when you say you don't have a husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and they've all failed, and the man that you're shacked up with right now isn't even your husband. The inference here is that she's probably shacked up with a man who has another wife somewhere else. Now, if this wasn't an awkward situation already... It moved into Awkwardville, USA right there. As this man in public points out the rubbish in her life. Now, now, now this for us isn't a comfortable notion. We kind of are like scratching our head and kind of going, wait a second, I thought this whole Jesus stuff was love and grace and mercy stuff. I thought you were going to head in a direction where you were going to say, well, no matter how messed up you are, hey, Jesus accepts you. And to a degree and dimension, that is true. But you've got to understand that God loves you so much, he will send Jesus all the way to where you are to grab hold of you. But he loves you too much to let you stay there. I'm going to say that again. God loves you so much that he will come all the way into the midst of your sin, your brokenness, and your dysfunction to grab hold of your life. But he loves you, come on, too much to allow you to stay there. And right off the bat, the one who doesn't give life, but he is life starts talking to her truthfully and honestly about her life. Not with a desire to break her down or to hurt her, but because God understands that for us to live life and then live it to the full, we must first address the death that reigns and rules and resides in our very being. He tells her the truth. Can I just be upfront with you? If you really want to have an experience of Jesus, he's going to tell you the truth. And it's going to get weird. I was doing my Bible study this morning in John chapter 1. I'm reading through John again. I love the book of John. It was the first book that I read when I became a Christian. 
And I'm reading John again because I'm trying to rediscover that passion that I had as a young 20-year-old. In John chapter 1, it says Jesus would come into this earth. Remember the Word who became flesh, and then he comes into this world. The world kind of didn't get him. The world kind of overlooked him. But for those who actually pick up who Jesus is, get what he wants to give, it's actual life. And then it says that this Jesus would come with grace and, grace and, it's grace and truth. Or in other words, it's like a one-two punch. Grace is powerless without truth. Because grace without truth leads to licentiousness. God loves you, do whatever you want, it's all good in the hood. Truth without grace leads to legalism. It's about a bunch of rules and regulations. You do this and God will be happy with you. No, Jesus comes with two fists ready to go to fight for your life. And he says, hey, here's grace and here's truth. And I'm going to tell you. I'm going to talk to you. You've made some mistakes. We've got to call it for what it is. You've hurt some people. You've got to start asking for some forgiveness. There's some stuff that you're downloading that's destroying your life. We've got to deal with that. Hey, there's a relationship that you have sexually outside the context of marriage. I want to talk to you about sex and sexuality, and I want to help you by my spirit. Come on, deal with that. Come on. There, there, are, some, there are some relationships that you're fostering right now that are damaging your life. Come on, we need to. He will speak to us openly and honestly, not because he's trying to condemn you, but because he loves you. I hate the doctor. I do. I hate going and kind of getting my checkup. And I hate when he comes back with results. I, I kind of like, it's like a gnawing phone that just rings in the middle of a quiet room. It's like this alarm that goes off whenever he comes back and he's, I'm going, oh, what's he gonna say? What's he gonna say? Now, I want him to be positive. I want there to be a good report, but more than anything, I want him to tell me the truth. Because as hard as it is, if he can help my life or even save my life, I'd have him do that. And that's what he does. So point number one, I want everyone to get this. He comes to you because he loves you. Number two, he calls us on our rubbish. He talks to us about sin, not because he's judgmental, but because he wants your best for your life. He loves you so much he'll come all the way to you, but he loves you too much to let you stay there. And thirdly and lastly, what he does Right there, right then, right here, right now, he calls us back to him. All right? So he comes to us where we are. He meets us where we're at. He tells us the truth. He calls us on our brokenness. But he always ends up by calling us back to him. That's weird, because at the end of this story, this woman gets really, really awkward, because she starts trying to like, deflect and duck and weep, because this whole five husbands conversation has like, got her all tripped out, and so she's going, well, you know, the prophets and worship and your church and my church and this hill and that mountain and this valley, and, and then Jesus says, no, 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 don't try to weasel out of this. God's coming after your life. And then she, she tries one more time. She says, well, well, you know, at the end of the day, this is all just talk, and there's a time coming where God's going to let us know exactly how he feels because this prophesied Messiah is going to show up and give us all the answers. And for the first time in Jesus' earthly ministry, he stops, he pauses, and looks at her and says, don't tell anyone, but I'm him. He reveals himself in his entirety to her. By doing so, offers himself to her in relationship. And that's what God did, and that's what God does. Right here, right now, no matter where you find yourself, no matter how far away you feel from God, he says, I'm coming after you. I want to tell you the truth about your life because I love you. But I need you to know, here and now, you belong. That's weird for us because many of us have been raised in a Christian environment that, that basically flows this way. Christianity is about behavior, things that we do and the things that we don't do. And you behave the right way, then, but th then you'll kind of start, you know, believing. You know, you start doing things right, and eventually you'll understand what it's all about. And if you understand what it's all about and hang around for long enough, then eventually you'll feel peace with God. You'll belong. 
But not only in this story, but many times throughout the gospel, Jesus inverts that. And he says, no, it's not about behavior and then believing and then belonging. Jesus, right off the bat, before this woman even responded to an altar call, let her know that right now she belongs. And the belonging would then affect the way that she believed Jesus was everything he said he was. And eventually, when you believe in Jesus for who he is, that naturally impacts our behavior. See, Jesus flips it upside down and says, no matter who you are or where you're at or what you've done, no matter how broken you are, no matter how scarred or stained or maimed or how many mistakes you've made, no matter how marked up your T-shirt is right here, right now, you belong. And we'll walk this out together. Let's roll together because that's the way that I roll. And as we hang out with each other, you'll see your life change. But before you even see your life change, you're going to see me for who I really am. Because with Jesus, it's not behave, believe, belong. For Jesus, it's you belong. And then you'll believe, and that'll affect the way that you behave. Jesus invites her back to him right there in the midst of her brokenness. Jesus invites you back to him in the midst of yours right now. You belong. I was talking about this concept a, a while ago with uh, our young adults back at my church at City Life in Melbourne. And, um, and at the end of the meeting, this young man comes up to me. And um, I knew that he wanted to have a pretty, you know, in-depth conversation. And so he waited till a lot of people cleared. And then he came up and then he said, this whole kind of belonging and then, and then finding out about Jesus. And when we get to know Jesus, our life changes is that true? And I said, well, I preached it. I think it is. And then he said, well, well I, I'm, I'm a homosexual. And at that moment, I, I, I noticed that he was wearing this very large rainbow band around his wrist. He just said, look, I've been coming along to your young adult group for the last couple of months. I like your talking and... Um, and this Jesus stuff is interesting to me. But, but are you really saying that, that, that I belong here? And that I'm allowed to be here? Now, now, that's a weird issue because he made it very clear that he wasn't a young man who struggled with homosexual desire. He was in an active homosexual relationship. And so I'm kind of umming and ahhing. And at this stage, a couple of my leaders and interns had gathered around and they were listening in on this conversation. So trying to be like Jesus and everything, I try to turn this into a teaching moment as well but I'm not quite as smooth as Jesus as I ummed and ahed for uh, um, uh, Because I wanted to love this man and accept this man, but I wanted them to know that I have a very clear understanding of God's plan for sexuality, and that's the best for our lives, and this is outside of God's ordinance and order. So I'm trying to like kind of balance this all up. At that stage, one of our interns jumps in, sweet girl, and she says, Dan, you know what we can do? Let's pray for him and get God to heal him of his gayness. <laughs> I'm like, uh, sweetheart, uh, let's put that one on the shelf, all right? And we'll come back to that one. I turned to him. I said, you know what? Nah, stand by it. I know that this is the story of my life. I know this is the story of every single person here in this room. Whether you're gay or you have a temper problem or you're promiscuous, you can't keep a heterosexuality under control, whether you're a liar, a cheater, a stealer, a murderer with your words, for all of us, it's the same. No, it's the same. Right now, you belong. But I told him right there, I warn you. Like everyone else here in this room, I'm going to passionately point towards Jesus every single week, and I'm going to beg you and implore you and convince you that he's the best person to follow. And if you walk with him, he's going to talk to you about some of the stuff that you do with your life, and it's going to make you very feel, feel very uncomfortable. It's going to mess your game up. I'm warning you, but I'm telling you right here, right now, you belong. You belong. Right? No, it gets funny. Two weeks later, we're back at Young Adults, and I notice he's back again. But this time, he's brought back up. Three guys, all covered in rainbow stuff. I'm thinking to myself, oh my goodness, he's gone back to his university, met with his, you know, his club, and... <laughs> 
and said, oh, this is fundamentalist Christian preacher who's talking about homosexuality being wrong. We're going to go have a word with him. So instead of me doing an altar call that week, I preached my message and then tried to get out of there. <laughs> because if they cornered me and he got into a fight, it would have gone bad for them. So I preach the message and I make a beeline for the door. We have a cafe out, that, uh, out the door. So I'm trying to walk out to the door. You know what these boys do? They get up out of their seat and they shuffle along the back and cut me off at the exit. So here I am, I go, oh my goodness, it's on. I'm gonna have to, it's gonna be me fighting four gay dudes and it's gonna spread and it's like, I'm, I'm ready for it. And so the gentleman that I talked to two weeks before, he comes up and he says, hey Dan, you told me that I belong here. I said, bro, you do. Well, I told my friends and they wanted to come and hear your talk as well. I said, well, you're so welcome here. Thanks for coming. And then this young man who I talked to a fortnight before said, I told them what you told me. That even if we don't believe what you believe and even if we live a life that you don't agree with, we're allowed to be here and Jesus thinks that we belong. Is that true? And again, I'm hit with this option. Do we really stand by this? Is this grace actually that amazing? And, and then I just basically said what I told him. Yep, 100%. We're all broken, but we belong. But I warned them again. I said, but I'm warning you guys. If you come around here, I'm going to point at Jesus and I'm going to use really big words that are going to impress you and you're going to like him as well. And, and, and when you hang out with Jesus, he's going to mess with your program. But don't feel alone. He is messing with mine all the time as well. But right now, you belong. And I want you to hear this that we all have stuff in our lives we need to see sorted out and God will do that by his grace and in his time and for his ultimate glory and your good. But right here, right now, you belong. Walking with Jesus will be a glorious and wondrous exercise and a deeply challenging one as well. But right now, amen, you belong. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen, and God bless.